week, Andrew talked about verse 6. And he said something that really stayed with me throughout the week. He said clearly, we are loved. That is God's stance toward us. That's God's stance toward you. We are loved. And he's the one that makes us alive. He's the one that raises us up. And he's the one that seats us with Christ Jesus. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to sit. And Andrew talked about this idea that when we sit, we rest comfortably in God's presence. Now, I'll be completely honest with you guys. Our society does not treat rest kindly. We value work. Not just work, but we value working hard and working and working and working. And there's something about that because, I don't know about you guys, but it's very common when we see someone, the first thing that we say, you know, how are you doing? What do we say? Oh, I'm really busy. You know, that, that's like a write up passage. You know, you always want to present yourself as somebody that is busy. But today I want to introduce an idea. Now, it, this idea doesn't come from me. Mike, uh, the author Mike Bren kind of introduced this concept and he used the pendulum. To, to talk about this. He said that in our society, we think that we should start with work and then swing toward rest. But he said that the Bible actually shows us the opposite, that we actually start with rest and then we move toward work. Now, in that movement, there is transformation, there is growth. But when we swing back, there is healing and recovery. We go back to rest. Now, for most of my life, I've not followed that principle. The reality of my life has been I go to work from more work and more work, and then I crash into rest. Now, nowadays, we call that Netflix binging. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have ever done that. You know, you just, you know, choose a series and just, numb out and crash. So that, that's the rhythm of our life. And I believe that Ephesians 2 introduces us to an idea, a concept that may help us break that process. Okay. So if you have your Bibles with you, again, if you're using one of these, page 815. Ephesians 2. I'll start with verse 6 because it kind of gives us context. Verse 6, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might, and I think this is very important, show the incomparable riches of his grace, the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. 
For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God created. God prepared in advance for us to do, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, it's clearly that the author of Ephesians believes that grace is very important. He calls it a gift, a gift of God. Now, he also points out that it's not something that we get to boast about. Now, I know that there are several of you guys that just graduated um, yesterday, and congratulations. You know, it's an amazing step in your lives, and um, the only problem is some of you guys will go to graduate school, and it only gets worse. <laughs> but here's something. This grace, this gift, is not something that you can count as your religious GPA, You can't do work and earn this grace. It's not like you add it up to your Christian resume. It's not something that you can use to brag about. So what is this gift? What do we do with this gift? Now, I'd like for you to think about a time in which you received an amazing gift. Think about it. Try to remember how you received it. You know, how did you receive that gift? Now, I'd like to tell you guys a story of when I received the gift. I was nine years old. And by the way, if you don't know me, I grew up in Brazil. And we, you know, do Christmas a little differently. So my uncle gave me a gift, a box. And he told me, don't open it until Christmas Eve. Now, in Brazil, we open gift on Christmas Eve, not Christmas morning. We can't wait that long. You know, it's just... Um, so, you know, he told me, and it was kind of weird. You know, he, he had given me, like, you know, birthday gifts, but never a Christmas gift. So I was very intrigued by it. It was the biggest box I received that year. So I was stoked. I was just, you know, just can't wait to receive it and to open it, and what happened was this, Christmas Eve comes, and I, you know, I'm holding this box, it's kind of heavy, and this was, now I'm going to tell my age, you know, I was born in 1980, so this was 1989. Now, the hottest gift in 1989 in Brazil was the Nintendo console, How many of you guys had a Nintendo console? Okay, you guys understand. This is a big deal. Big deal. I was graduating from a two-year-old Atari. Okay. My life was about to change drastically. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, this is it. You know, this is the year. So I started opening it. You know, it was just the first, I gun for the first, you know, just start opening it. And I opened the box and there's another wrapped box inside. And I pick it up, and it's still heavy, so I'm keeping hope, and, you know, the bigger box goes to the side, and I'm unwrapping this one, 
and you kind of know where I'm going. I open it, and another box. But it's still heavy, so there's some, something in there, and I keep going. I go through like five or six boxes, and they get smaller and smaller and smaller, and I start realizing that the Nintendo was not going to happen. <laughs> and I get to the last box, it's actually one of those, you know, paper wrap things, you know, like when you already know that it's a sweater or worse yet. So I get to, be, to it, and these are like the ugliest socks I've ever seen. And that's the gift I received from my uncle. Now, before we start feeling sad for me, I have done therapy. And I'm okay. I won't start crying right now. But it did highlight something very important or at least something that is very important for us to think about, especially in our relationship with gifts. And that is that we have a distorted perception or perspective on what gifts are all about. Now, we either have really high expectations for our gifts, like I deserve an Atari, or uh, I deserve a Nintendo console, or we have a very low view of ourselves and we think that we have to earn our gifts. That, you know, I have to work really hard to get even the things that I really need. So what I want us to do is to pause and realize that sometimes we don't understand the gifts that God gives us. Now, let's talk about this gift, the gift of grace. For many of us, this gift has been reduced to one step of many in our life cycle between sin and forgiveness. Grace becomes one step in that process, in a process that we try to work really hard and earn God's approval, and then we fail. And then we try again and we fail, and then we try again and again, and you see that cycle. Now, the Bible calls that cycle spiritual slavery, which is not really a fun word to say. It's even a worse place to be. Now, if you've ever been there, or even if you're there right now, you realize something, that you don't wanna be there. You want freedom. So as good religious people, what do we do? We try guilt and shame. Now, let me give you guys an example. Have you ever seen the movie, The Passion of Christ by Mel Gibson? No? Okay, good, you guys are there, good. All right, so there's this movie. Now, it's, you know, The Passion of Christ, the last you know, few hours of Jesus' life. And I remember watching it at the theater and just feeling so bad, just so horrible, that my sin caused Jesus Christ to suffer so much. And I remember at the theater watching it and thinking, oh, I, I just, I can't, I can't keep doing the things that I'm doing. So I, you know, I'm bawling, right? You know, just crying and, and I'm like committed to this new life. And 
a few days later, I find myself in that repetitive cycle again. And this thought came through my mind. Maybe I need to watch the movie again. Can you relate to that? That there is something within me that felt that if I just feel enough guilt, if I just feel bad enough about myself, or if I just pull myself down with shame, that will free me. That will make me feel better. That will stop the cycle. Well, that religious strategy does not work. Now, if you're not a very religious person, maybe you're a good human being and you're trying to also leave that, that cycle and you try something we call self-help. Have you guys ever seen those magazines? You know, 10 steps to a better life, three steps for a better marriage, the one thing you know and you fill in the blank. We see those like over and over. It's like everywhere. Now, at some point, we feel like, well, maybe that's what I need. But let me tell you what's the problem with self-help. It is a strategy without healing and transformation. You find yourself stuck in the same way. But now you're saying, like, I know what I should do but I still don't do it. And again, we find ourselves stuck. Now, I want to go back to what Andrew said last week because that's important. See, we realize that we are loved by God. We realize that he's calling us to do more, to do good works, but we don't have the freedom to risk and to fully rely on him because we are in slavery. So I would like to propose something. Now, I want you guys to be prepared. This is gonna be a little disturbing. I would even say that it is a little offensive, but stay with me, okay? Now, I believe that the author of Ephesians is pointing us to the right direction. He's pointing us toward grace. And I believe that grace will be the force that will get us free. But we have to look at it a little differently. So if you like to take notes, there will be two words that I will focus and kind of ground myself on for this, uh, this process. The first one is acceptance, and the second one is process. Okay, acceptance and process. Now, acceptance. This grace that the author of Ephesians is talking about is a grace that requires you to let go of your human effort and lean into the reality that God accepted you, the God, the creator of everything that is good, accepted you and you as a good creation. So that is God towards you. Now, when you accept yourself as a good creation, just the way you are, that forces you into a realization that you have to step into a place of peace towards yourself and those around you. But there is a problem. 
Because when you go into that place of peace, what do you find? You find your sin. And this is the disturbing part. I want to encourage you to accept and acknowledge your sin. So when you go into that realization that, yes, I am loved, I am created, yes, I sin. That's the place I want you to go. And for many of us, that is a very disturbing place. It's a very, dis- it's a very offensive place because we are educated to do what? To work hard and not sit with our sin. Now, again, this is the first step. We don't stop there. What is the second step? It's progress. I would say that grace is not static. Grace is a process. And this is important. I believe grace goes beyond repetitive forgiveness. Again, grace goes beyond repetitive forgiveness, but it gives you the space to step into a process of healing and transformation. It gives you the space to step into that process of healing and transformation. See, I don't think grace is a transactional process that we have with God. It's not just a transaction between what you do and what God does, and then we're even. Grace, this acceptance, this acknowledgement, it allows for you a clearing in which you can pause and listen to actually sit in God's presence. Sin and all, sit in God's presence. I would like to say something that, again, may be very disturbing, but I would like for you to face your sin and to listen to it. What is it telling you? See, I would like to encourage you to explore what is the heart matter behind your sin. Because if you do, your sin will be transformed from the end of a repeated cycle that you've been stuck on to the beginning of a journey between you and God. Now, how do you do that? I want to highlight another book of the Bible by a follower of Jesus. His name was John. You know, it's kind of weird. You know, you're not supposed to have favorites. Like, I have three kids. You know, you're not supposed to have favorites. But, but Jesus had a favorite, and John was it. So I guess I could, you know, have a favorite child. Maybe they're listening, I won't say. But in John... Uh, John talks about something that I think is very important. So if you want to follow, you can. If you want to just make a note and then, you know, read it at home, you can. But it's the book of 1 John, chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. And that verse has really pointed to something that is important here. It says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 
if we confess, and you can also translate that word as acknowledge, our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins. But then he continues and he says, and, and purify us from all unrighteousness. I always read that verse and I always forgot that second part. And purify us from all unrighteousness. So I'd like to tell you this. Listen to your sin. Let your sin speak to you. See, as an example, behind your greed may lie a lack of lust, a lack of trust in God, his love for you, his willingness to care for you. See, behind lust may lie a disconnect between, between you and other human beings. Behind dishonesty, lies, and manipulation may lie a fear that if people really knew you, they would not know you or love you. See, by accepting or acknowledging your sin, you may be able to pause and really see what is happening. What is at the heart? What's the heart matter? See, for me, when I started doing that a few years ago, I learned that my past wasn't just my past. That the truth was that so much of my past was playing a role in my present. And I found, found myself not only remembering my past, but actually repeating it and experiencing or doing the things that I used to do or even the things that were done to me. See, we repeat the same actions. We even repeat relationships. Um, I heard somebody say this, that sometimes the actors and the scenery change, but the story stays the same. See, when we listen and when we go deeper and when we accept, God is faithful and he will restore you. Now, I wish I could tell you that this is going to be something that you do just between you and God and it's like on the down low and you don't need to um, open up. But I would like to maybe give you another option. Because today may be a day that you're going to dedicate yourself to this process of healing and transformation. That you can step from rest into a work of transformation and know that God will be there. And as you rest, he will heal you. So, first thing I'd like for you to accept and acknowledge this slaving sin in your life as a sign of deeper wounds. And then I would like for you to find mature followers of Christ and allow them into your life. Now, you may be seated beside a very mature person, 
And I would encourage you to, to do that. Use discernment. I will be at the respond banner. There will be other followers of Jesus that will be there, and they will be more than glad to start that journey with you. We'll pray, we'll exchange phone numbers, and we'll start a journey. I highly, highly recommend that you do that. See, I believe that the author of Ephesians understood this um, subversive uh, power of grace. That it wasn't just this repeated forgiveness, but a process of healing and transformation. Because on verse 10, it gives us something that's very, very important. And I would like for us to do something. Uh, I would like for us to read it together. So I'm going to, you know, put it up on the screen. And I would like for us to read it together. Because I, I think it allows for us to move in a way that it's not out of our work, not out of our earning, but truly as part of an acceptance of a gift. So let's read it together. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's do that again. For we are I would like for you to memorize it. I would like for you to write it in your bathroom mirror. I would like for you to accept it. I would like for you to live it. And I would like to point one thing as we go into communion. It starts with, for for we are. We are. We are. As a community. Not just you individually. You know, I love cowboy movies, but you're not a Christian cowboy. You are part of a community, okay? We are God's handiwork. So if you came with a friend, I would like to recommend this. I would like to encourage you to give them this verse during communion. So as they take communion, you tell this verse over them. And then when you take communion, hopefully they will be nice enough and they will, you know, say that over you. And I hope that we as a community may be able to actually accept this gift. Because this is what this table is all about. It's an amazing celebration of a gift. So let's pray. If you don't mind, let's stand. And when I finish praying, we can go to these tables and celebrate this gift that we have just received. Heavenly Father, we are grateful. We're grateful for your gift of grace, a grace that transforms our lives, a grace that gives us freedom the same freedom your son showed us as he walked this earth. 
Father, you know every single person here. You know each person's battles. You know each person's needs. And I ask, Father, especially for those that are enslaved by sin, that they may today, tomorrow, as soon as possible, to go to you and to find this grace that is healing and that transforms us. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.